Um, okay, to, um, my name's Stuart. I'm one of the leaders here for those who are new around church. And this morning we're going to continue looking at a series um, in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, so if you want to kind of find the book of Acts in your Bible, the verses will appear on the screen in a few minutes. And we're looking at the first followers of Jesus. Um, and today we're looking at problems and persecution. Yay! That's what we all think, isn't it? <laughs> problems and persecutions. And the context is simply the early church is changing. Growth produces change. Um, someone once wrote this, a church that is alive is going to change. Humans are fickle creatures. We like some change, but not too much. We like novelty. Novelty implies newness in minor things. But we also like stability. Keep the major things the same. Compare church to a favourite pair of shoes. Or if you're like me, the only pair of shoes you have. Once you've broken them in, you want to stay that way, nice and comfortable. So we're going to look at um, chapter um, 6 and 7 in the book of Acts and focusing on a guy called Stephen. Now Stephen was chosen as um, one of the seven administrators to distribute food because in the early church it was growing so fast that there were problems arising. There were 12 apostles and they were responsible for church life in general. And which at that time consisted of the ministry of the word of God and caring for the needy. Now some of the problems actually in that early church came when it surrounding around caring for those widows that were in the church community and the church family. So Stephen was involved in a very practical outworking of the gospel. The problem probably wasn't deliberate. It was a sign of growth. There, there were two types of Jews within the early church, the Hellen, Hellenistic Jews, and they felt that their widows were being hard done by. And the Hebrew widows were getting more than their fair share of the distribution of food. The Hebrews were, were Jews who, who spoke Aramaic and grew up in a Jewish culture. And the Hellenistic Jews were probably came from outside Palestine, spoke Greek, and were largely in, influenced by the Greek culture. I'm telling you this because both groups were in that early church. They both came to faith in Jesus as their God, as their Messiah and Saviour. But that didn't erase all the background situations, their history, their heritage. It's naive to think, since we're all Christians, we won't experience conflict. Someone once put it like this, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll spoil it. So Stephen is chosen to be one of the seven administrators. And we're going to jump into chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs amongst the people. Opposition arose. However, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexander, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, 
But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen, brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against his holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And Stephen gives his speech, his sermon. And we jump in at chapter 7, verse 54, where it says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard his speech, heard his sermon, they were furious and gnashed their teeth against him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Jesus prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing of him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. From house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Wow, that's, that's like the UK, yeah? Not really. Stephen was a man of great character. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, full of grace, full of power. What a way to be described. If you're a Christian here this morning, wouldn't that be a great description? Is that how our lives are? We're going to unpack what that looks like. I'll throw a few questions in. I'm not going to give lots of answers today. Sorry. I'm filling in the questions. I'm stirring it up. Stephen was full of faith. In chapter 6 verse 5 it says referring to his faith in God. His speech, his sermon in chapter 7 showed to the Sanhedrin that he believed in a sovereign God who called Abraham to step out into a promise... And then through covenant promises with Abraham, Moses, Joseph, God sent his son Jesus to save his people. Stephen had faith. He knew his God. He stepped out into it. His faith was based on these strong facts that he looked back on. He knew the scriptures. He knew what God's heart was. Is that what we are today? Is that where we're going to step out into a promise because we are full of faith. God makes promises to each one of us. 
Are we prepared with that full of faith kind of character to step out into them? Stephen was full of grace. In verse 8, the same thing is said about Jesus. Jesus was full of grace and truth, it says in John. Stephen had a personal understanding of the experience of God's grace. God's grace is about Jesus coming, dying on a cross for each one of us. No matter what we've done, because the Father God passionately loves us and wants us back in relationship. Stephen knew that he was filled with that kind of grace that overflowed into everything that was around him. He knew how to release the grace of God that he was full of into, those, into that church, into the communities that he was working in. Stephen was full of power. God, in verse 8, it said, God gave Stephen the ability to perform great wonders and signs among the people. In other words, he knew how to live naturally, supernaturally. It's not just a buzz phrase. He knew how to live it. Miracles were an everyday thing for him. Not hyped up experiential miracles, but every day, that's how he lived. It was normal living. This is the combination of being full of faith, being full of grace, being full of the Holy Spirit. It overflows. It overflows into every day. Stephen was full of power. He was full of wisdom. In verse 10, it says he was full of wisdom. Apparently, not a, a Greek scholar myself, but apparently the word wisdom here is only used four times in the book of Acts. Twice in chapter 6, in verse 3 and 10, and twice in Stephen's message to Sanhedrin. In Proverbs, in the Bible, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So wisdom comes from knowing God, and Stephen was full of wisdom. Wisdom is truth applied to life. It's not just a head knowledge thing. It showed he had biblical insight. He knew the scriptures. He had decision making that gave good judgments. He made careful choices. That's what wisdom was. And wisdom is. Truth applied to life. Stephen was full of that. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 7, verse 55, Stephen was chosen because he had a good reputation and specifically of being full of the Holy Spirit. Now this was a daily walk with the Holy Spirit. He had continued for long enough to produce evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That fruit that was evident in, in Stephen's life, it overflowed into others, into the situations. And that's why change happened, because he was full of the Holy Spirit. But that change caused a reaction. When there's change, it always ruffles the feathers. It causes reaction. It stirred up opposition, not deliberately, because he was living out a kingdom way of life. 
it was those who were religious, if you look in the, these passages, it was those who were religious, who struggled with change, who ramped up the opposition. I've been brought up in a church family since I was a baby. I know what it's like to struggle with being religious. I've brought up in a very strict church family. And change was really difficult. Still find change difficult. But change was really difficult when I was growing up. Here's some thoughts from a speaker called Danielle Strickland on surviving and thriving change. The first stage of change is settled. It feels like home. The second stage of change is unsettled. The third stage of change is chaos. It's equal parts, scary and exciting. The fourth stage of change is also unsettled. It just doesn't feel like home. And the fifth stage of change is a new normal. As I read this passage, I'm challenged, is my character like Stephen's that I can navigate change? In whatever changes that's in church, in my home life, in my work life, in, in our country? Yay. <laughs> Am I challenged to live like Stephen, with that kind of character, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of grace, full of tr- truth, full of power? And how do I navigate that in the place of opposition? Where there's change, there is opposition. Many times. In 2 Corinthians, God says to us, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In the place of change, are we receiving that? And is our response, like Paul, who wrote those words, who also wrote later on in 2 Corinthians, Therefore I will boast all the more greatly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God reveals his heart to us, as he did to Paul. And if you look in that passage we read this morning, Paul was there watching what was going on. Coats were placed at his feet. That was Saul, who became Paul. He was the worst persecutor out there. He was the worst one providing opposition against Stephen. He was the one who also had a dramatic encounter with Jesus converted on the road to Damascus and later on in the book of Acts this is what Paul says about Stephen and about his death and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him that's the kind of opposition that Stephen faced that was turned around as we will see later into a guy who actually saw the gospel expand and spread right across the world. But that kind of hits home at one level to us. 
but we're not under threat, I don't think so, of being killed in here. <laughs> One of the challenges in the UK is I don't think we get what that kind of persecution looks like that costs our lives. We get problems, but it doesn't ramp up to that kind of persecution. I, I couldn't go by without giving us a glimpse of what that looks like for our brothers and sisters around the world. We do see, and I say this as a kind of a, a precursor, we do see traits and injustices in the UK and stuff that is bubbling under the surface that people are seeing actually happen to them across the globe. That's scary because it is bubbling under the surface. I have to say that Christians across the world have to face, when I see what they have to face, it realigns my perspective. When I get a little bit negative, a little bit kind of oh, complacent, a bit self-defensive, consumeristic, all the kind of stuff that we feel as UK, in the UK, when we feel that stuff, I have to look at what others face across the world. Let's just watch this short video that just kind of gives us a better glimpse of me explaining it. Imagine being arrested because you own a Bible or finding that the government has suddenly closed down your church. Imagine being denied education or employment because you're a Christian or being thrown into prison just because you told someone about Jesus. Imagine being forced out of your home because of your faith, or living in a country where there is absolutely no freedom of belief. Hard to imagine, isn't it? Yet this is the cost of faith for millions of Christians around the world. Every day they pay this price with courage and hope. And these are the top five countries where their faith costs the most. Number five, Pakistan. In Pakistan, an estimated 700 Christian women and girls are abducted every year. Any Christian can find themselves accused of blasphemy and end up in jail or attacked by an angry mob. But even though churches have been bombed and attacked, Pakistani Christians continue to meet together and shine God's light. Number 4. Libya in the lawless state of Libya, militant Islamists attack Christians with impunity. Desperate Christian migrants have been killed or sold into slavery. Yet despite the danger, Libyans are still coming to Christ. Number 3. Somalia In Somalia, just being suspected of being a Christian can lead to instant execution. But brave Christians still gather in small groups constantly changing the location of their meetings to avoid detection. Number 2. Afghanistan There are only a few thousand Christians in Afghanistan and they keep their faith hidden. Anyone known to follow Jesus can face violence from their family or tribe. But even here, people encounter Christ through radio programs or, miraculously, in dreams. Number 1. North Korea North Korea is number one for the 18th consecutive year. In this land, the leaders are worshipped as gods. Christians are viewed as enemies of the state. 
Some 50 to 70,000 Christians are imprisoned in labor camps. Hannah was sent to a North Korean labor camp because of her faith. I was praying with my eyes closed, and the guard was beating me, saying, Why are you trying to pray? Are you insane? As I prayed, I believed that other Christians would be praying for me. This is what I prayed to the Lord in prison. God, have mercy on us. Save my young children and my family. Let this prison become a church one day so that it can be a place of worship for you. I praise my beloved Jesus who answered my prayer and freed me from the handcuffs and opened the prison doors. That realized my perspective. That's opposition in a wider sense. What does that look like for us? In Ephesians 6, 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. These Christians are speaking out, are living lives out of a place of revelation, because they know God's heart for them. They are full of faith, full of wisdom, full of power, full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit else they wouldn't be there. They wouldn't survive. Revelation is seeing things as God sees them. Taking information doesn't change us. Revelation changes us. Revelation is about receiving from God. When we come to the Bible, we can't understand its truth that transforms our life without being full of the Holy Spirit. We'd just be full of information and knowledge. We need to come with humility to the word of God and say, God, will you give your revelation for now? Holy Spirit, reveal what you are saying to your church, to me, to live out in this situation, in this generation. Stephen got that because he was a man full of wisdom. After he'd given his speech, there was this height of physical opposition. He's dragged out of the town, stones. There was high tension. And he saw a vision of heaven, a glorious revelation. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That caused reaction. But it was a revelation that opened a door that was far wider than even Stephen could see. The gospel spread like wildfire. Stephen's response was full of grace to those who persecuted him. It was full of faith even as he was killed. Yet the church was scattered everywhere. Across Judea and Samaria, communities infiltrated by Jesus' followers that might have gone a lot, lot slower if Stephen hadn't been there and had faced that opposition. 
We can read about it right throughout the New Testament. Transformation of towns, of villages, of cities. That's what we need here in the UK. In the Western world, I suggest. In Bristol again. That kind of revelation. As Christians, one of our challenges of being a safe church of being a safe church is that we simply gather information and knowledge and go through activities of obedience but if we move out in revelation we'll do it out of faith and out of faith is out of comfort zones and that produces transformation I'm not knocking being obedient you can't move out in faith unless you're obedient but we need to be asking ourselves this morning, what is God's revelation for us? What is God's revelation for us, for his church, for our world that results in transformation? Stephen lived like that. The early church lived like that. But they were battered. And as I come towards the end this morning, I want to briefly reflect on that kind of faith that Stephen had. I would say it's a, a courageous faith. I'd probably add a load of ad adjectives onto that. If I was good at English, I would do that. But it was a courageous faith that he had, that he was that first Christian who was to die for his faith. That's the ultimate in kind of persecution, of problems, of opposition. I think we probably need to find a little bit of that here. In our church, in our country. As Christians, that kind of courageous faith. I might not be saying that we all have to die. But something that is a lot deeper than just coasting it. A faith that is full of grace and wisdom. Justin Welby spoke earlier this year uh, a lecture at Lambeth Palace on reimagining Britain and I quote just briefly from him Justin Welby's the Archbishop of Canterbury for those not into that an oil rig is an offshore construction which drills to explore for oil there are various forms but what I'm referring to is a semi-submersible rig which is kept in place by four legs which are filled with water to the right degree and therefore give it stability. And with advanced GPS technology, ensure that it remains in the right place through stormy seas and bad weather. It is anchored as well as usually in most depths of water, but not all. And it needs to have the right balance between anchors and movement. It needs to find the right tension point between flexibility and stability. I want to suggest that at this time, facing storms, buffeted by waves, and sometimes it might feel out on our own at sea, our own nation and a number of others across Europe seem a lot more like these oil rigs. Finding the balance between anchors and movement. Not always doing it very well. It leads us to two questions. First, what are anchors what are our anchors what will keep us rooted and stable 
And secondly, what is the movement? Where can we be flexible, innovative, applying to our modern challenges with courage and creativity? That's a rewording kind of what Stephen did, seemed in a context that was quite fierce and, and kind of a real battleground. But for us, we still have the same challenges. Stephen had a courageous faith. And that's how he died. He must have had this courageous faith that saw a revelation of Jesus that resulted in a changed heart. Because how would you pray this when you were dying? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Yeah, okay, I get that. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That kind of faith. Let's dig deep in ourselves. Are we going to do that? Is that the kind of faith that we've got to live like that? Do not hold that sin against them. And then he fell asleep. Words of forgiveness, as Jesus also did, in the heart of persecution and opposition. Words of forgiveness in the heart of persecution and opposition. That is courageous faith. And my prayer for us this morning is that God will release that kind of faith here. Faith in this church and a revelation that changes our hearts.